Welcome to footy time. We've made it to the end of round 23 and the end of the home and away season. Whoa, what a ride. It's now time for finals. With me today to help recap what a round this was is none other than Daniel Andrews. Dan, how are you going? Hey, Johnny. Great to be here. And yeah, what a what a round. <laughs> so much to talk about. It'll be interesting to see which direction we take this. But uh, yeah, uh, one of the more eventful final rounds I can remember, that's for sure. Yeah, strange round in some ways. I mean, you're never going to get a, a round 23 full of amazing games with, with all the lopsided matchups, but still an enjoyable way to finish. Um, and we start with none other than the second versus third clash on Friday night at the Gabba. Um, the first question this week, Dan, is what is the key story out of this match? Is it the statement that Melbourne made or is it Brisbane's disappointment? Mm, yeah, it's tricky whether you see this game through more of a Melbourne lens or a Brisbane lens. I feel like we probably knew more about Brisbane going into the game and that they did were displaying some fragility. So to me, the biggest story is how good Melbourne were and the fact that they seem to have flicked the switch, which people were sort of questioning. But uh, yeah, I guess the fact that the Lions weren't really up to it in you know, a physical game where everything was on the line kind of lined up with some of their slightly patchy form and their form through big games in various final series. So to me, the story was Melbourne. What about you? Look, I, it's actually a tough one. But I, well, I thought Melbourne were outstanding across the board. You know, coaching staff, fitness staff, playing group. Uh, the D's were back to the running and spreading hard, shutting off defensive exits, holding the structure. It was fantastic. But I just can't help but think that this is a massive indictment on Brisbane. Um, you know, they just continue to falter on the big stage and notably against Melbourne. Um, they yeah. just didn't look ready for it at all. Nah, and, with everything on the line as well. <laughs> Yeah, and um, it was funny because you saw Chris Fagan in his interview before the match and, you know, he seemed very confident. He seemed like they'd really gone to town on our game plan. They were ready for anything. They were ready for who was, you know, close checking for Lockie Neal, things like that. But uh, it just seemed like Simon Goodwin was a step ahead of him again. And uh, with that one and five record in finals, you know, fighting for top four, now it's it's out of their grasp and they've got to play a cutthroat final against Richmond. Yeah, I guess I very hard. Yeah. Very disappointing. Really disappointing. There's some teams that just have diabolical matchups. Like, I think in some ways Melbourne and Brisbane actually play quite similarly, but Melbourne just does it a bit better. And the fact that, you know, the defense is so stingy and it just, they can actually score against Brisbane, it all just sort of comes apart. And we've seen that twice this year. Uh, yeah, I think it is kind of a bit of a quirk of the AFL that some teams just have such trouble against a single opposition when they could be so strong against other good teams. Yeah, it, it is a good point you make, though. That There are a lot of similarities with the playing styles of Brisbane and, and Melbourne. They, they don't, uh, I guess, tend to go fast straight away. And... Um, I guess Brisbane's a little different in that they try to pick through a defence and, uh, yeah, just sort of play their way through. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just, um, I don't know, they just seem to be a lot looser down back than Melbourne. They seem to give a lot of leeway. And, uh, yeah, I just don't know how you can win a flag with that kind of <laughs> approach. Down yeah, back. well, I, I guess the defensive profile has been the question mark for most of this year. 
And uh, yeah, it was really shown up by a team who absolutely brought it and was willing to take the game on. So I guess that's when you can make another team really bleed once when you're really up for it. And uh, yeah, winning some key uh, stats, I suppose. And yeah, geez, they put it on the scoreboard. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, they certainly did. And I guess Brisbane are a team that can score quickly as well, but they are also a team that is quite inaccurate. I mean, saw a bunch of shots missed by, uh, you know, the Hipwoods and McStay. Uh, Joe Denner, who I think kicked that great goal early, but he faded out of the game. Um, yeah, and, and Charlie Cameron barely got a touch. So I don't know what to, yeah. How, how do you go that next step? Is it something, do you think they've got to really alter their game plan now? Well, I would probably say yes, but like it seems like they don't think they do, which is, you know, they're not going to change unless they think there's a problem. But it's just, it's a strange one because it really all the same issues are still there that we sort of commented on through last year's finals. You know, the midfield doesn't run both ways. Uh, what happens when you can't be getting enough quality ball forward? And the defense has probably been even worse this year. So. Yeah, I suppose you can't fix a problem unless you think there's actually a problem to fix. And I guess that's kind of where Brisbane are at the moment. They're so good at, you know, doing it their way. But when it doesn't work, it just falls apart. Yeah, and I think the what I took out of the... Um, there was a lot of physical altercations and it looked like emotions were running high. And I don't know, I just kind of felt like that worked against Brisbane. They've, it seemed like... They just seem like a side when things aren't going their way, they kind of lose the plot a bit. And it just, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of altercations, especially with uh, Dane Zorko. And yeah, I just, I just always felt like that was going to work in Melbourne's favour. I think it seemed like Brisbane. I don't know, look, just from the TV cameras, it seemed like uh, a lot of those instances were uh, instigated by Brisbane players, and Melbourne were just kind of happy to not back down. So, yeah, 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 I agree. Like it seemed yeah. like Melbourne were, were happy to you know engage with what Brisbane were doing, but they were most interested in actually playing football. And maybe yeah. you couldn't have completely said that for all the Brisbane players in that first half where the game was won. Yeah, and uh, Melbourne were able to stay composed and just get on with the job. Which leads us to the next question, which is about Melbourne. Uh, which is the real Melbourne in twenty twenty two and what was different about them this week? Mm, yeah. So it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride for Melbourne, although it kind of mirrors what happened last year. You know, the fast start, they win 10 in a row. And you might remember, Johnny, that like the last time I was on for a proper show, I said something along the lines of, you know, Melbourne's got a really tough run in the second half of the year. They might just split their games, even if they are doing a lot of things right. And yep. what have they done? They've gone six and six. So, <laughs> nailed it. Um, so yeah, it, it has been a hard one to nail down. You know, with what is what is real and what's not for Melbourne. I think you know what's really stood out to me is when they've been absolutely challenged when they lost three in a row. And uh, they were coming up against Brisbane the first time. They came up with a fantastic performance. When they're in danger of starting to slip out of the top four a couple of times against Frio and Carlton, they really stood up, although it wasn't the most polished performance against Carlton. But I think it's just a hallmark of a team that, you know, has been there and done it. The fact that they know they can reach a certain level if they need to. It's almost felt this like this year that 
maybe they've needed that extra little bit of impetus to actually get up for all the games. And I, they've, they've still been playing well, at least consistently enough, but it just seems like they haven't gone to their absolute top level as often this year, maybe. I don't know. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I guess, well, yeah, before the game, uh, as a, as I mentioned, Chris Fager was interviewed and he seemed confident and he, he really seemed like they knew how we played now. Uh, but then just bang, smack in the mouth <laughs> just came and Melbourne were not predictable in this game. They actually brought, they brought all the regular things we've come to expect, like the relentless forward up pressure, the turnover game, uh, some quick ball movement at times in the game when they needed it. Um, there were some things that I thought we hadn't seen as much, like using the corridor a bit. And um, also, I think, I don't think there's any of us that uh, thought that James Harms was, wasn't coming in to play on Lockie Neal. Would, would you agree, Dan? Yeah, well, that was a general consensus going around. <laughs> um, and to bring him in, but send Gus to Neal, I just thought was, well, it was just very out there and it worked quite well. But... Um, it was just real forward-thinking stuff. And I thought Harms played quite well as well, uh, sort of out on that wing. Yeah, it was good to have but, him um, back. Yeah, it was. And, and also his running ability uh, was fantastic to set up the, the structure as quickly as possible after a, a behind, things like that. But, um, yeah, it's just... It almost seems like <laughs> they've been deliberately holding a few things back. I it sounds absurd, but... Um, Maybe. I don't know. It just seems a little bit like that. Well, like, if you showed someone, you know, the way Melbourne played against Carlton or even Collingwood, probably Carlton's a better example, that sort of, uh, you know, very low-risk, uh, contest-based game, really not, you know, going out of their way to score. And then you showed someone the Brisbane game, you'd think they were two different teams, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Um, and there was, like... A lot more varied uh, decision making when it came to the entry inside fifty. You know, we've gotten very used to them just blazing away and bombing in. They didn't go away from that completely. They used that. They used the bomb approach at times, and it worked out well whenever they did it. But they were able to hit up targets short. Um, just, I guess you call it, you call it their shot selection was just really mixed up and really caught them off guard, Brisbane. Mm. And yeah, it was something I, I don't think we'd seen. Really for a while, but um, I do have one more question. How much does the how much do the fitness stuff play a part in this and yeah, the loading? Uh, yeah. Are we now running on top of the ground, Dan? I think so. Like it all kind of goes together. You don't just stop being a good team, right? So yeah, all the doomsdays about Melbourne, you know, that's not really taking into account whether they're at their optimal fitness to actually be executing the game style to the best of their ability. And I guess we'll never fully know that. But if you just look at the pattern of last year and the pattern of this year, it seems like they're perfectly priming themselves to perform when it matters most. And you can see it in the way they tried to actually play. You could actually sort of just, it almost, it looked like a complete change in mindset, but also like, they were, it did almost look like they'd been holding it back because every player looked like they knew exactly what they wanted to do. They were much more willing to take the game on. They were making space in more attacking positions. There was a lot of sort of, I'm not sure whether you noticed this, Johnny, but there was a lot of uh, sort of running from uh, like 
the defensive side to the attacking side, but actually receiving like in movement, so not always yeah. coming up to yeah. get chains going. So that's a real hallmark of the hard running and hitting guys running. Yeah, yeah. So that was good. More use of angles, and even when they did resort to going down along the long down the line. There was better representation there, more chance of actually marking it. Everyone just looked sharper. It's almost like it's the proverbial thing to say, but it looked like they just flicked the switch. They're saying, okay, this is the time that matters. Let's let's do this properly. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, it's hard to see it any other way. Um, but you're right, though. When you look at compare this season with last season, it is looking quite similar performance wise um and you could look you could argue the uh the collingwood game i mean that could have gone the way of this game really i thought we came out pretty hard in that one a mm. lot of scoring opportunities uh if we were a bit more accurate maybe could have been in a five goal lead at halftime so that one i i, I look back at that performance now i thought we were reasonable in that game we didn't quite yeah. we ran out of legs a bit late but i thought we we could have gotten that one done i don't think we were as bad as maybe nah. I thought at the time. It was it was a great game. It was a hard one to take as a Melbourne supporter, but, you know, Collingwood is a team where you don't get too many chances to knock them out, and Melbourne had probably more chances than most teams have had, and they didn't do it, but yeah. uh, I wouldn't, yeah, looking back on it, I think you're right. It was a good performance, not a great performance, but you could sort of see that they were building to something like yeah. we saw on the weekend. And Collingwood were super accurate in that game as well. <laughs> Um, so we go to our next team, which just happens to be Collingwood. And the question is, how do they keep doing it? And why does it keep working then? Yes, I think <laughs> it's a, cra- a bit of a crazy question because if you look at the stats in a lot of these games, they're getting absolutely smashed by some of the better teams. They're usually comprehensively getting beaten in inside 50s, uh, contested possession. Uh, what else are they losing? Clearances, Clearances it's, yeah. it's just, it just doesn't really add up. But then no. if you actually spend the time to watch them either live or re- even on the TV in this last quarter, you can see why they keep winning. They're just basically going into this um, almost like a possessed mode where they're all in sync. They're taking the game on as much as they can, taking the most attacking option, they're running when the other team might be, you know, fatiguing a little bit. And they're just doing it all with supreme confidence. They know exactly uh, where to get to. They know uh, when it's time to go, essentially. And uh, it's standing them in good stead. You can't win this many close games by accident. It's, no. It's, uh, it's a proven method. And like I kind of referred to earlier, if you don't knock Collingwood out when you get the chance... Basically, you're inviting them to do this to you, and they're very, yeah. very good at it. So, what? Like, I gave my little spiel there about what I think they're doing. What do you think they're doing, Johnny, in these little periods where they're just going bananas <laughs> towards the end of games? Yeah, yeah it's it's difficult to really pin it all down, but uh, I think when you play Collingwood, the first thing you got to take away is the, is their transition. You have to take away their ability to transition the ball from back to front. And for whatever reason, teams just keep letting them do it. So <laughs> you've, got to, you've almost got to be a bit counterintuitive. And I think you need to chip it around a bit and stifle mm. them. Because yeah. if you're getting into a shootout with them at the moment, they just, they've just they got some very 
they've, like I wouldn't say they've got a great forward line, but they've got a forward line full of confidence right now. And Jamie Elliott is just not missing at the moment. Mm. Yeah. Um, but the key thing as well is that they've got a back line that's very hard to score against. Uh, they keep the opposition score low, and that keeps Collingwood in games that they might otherwise not be in. Yeah. So there's a few of these games that might have been sealed uh, a lot earlier, but you know they're just staying that I guess that extra goal or two closer, and that they've got the belief. They play, they've clearly shown they've got the belief. I guess they've got a lot of experienced players there, good leadership. Uh, Scotty Pendlebury was fantastic late in in that game. I thought he was just yeah class. Um, yeah, really good leaders. Whereas Carlton yesterday didn't uh, didn't really have that, and we'll get to that a bit later. Yeah, yeah. Like there's just so many things that seem to work for Collingwood throughout the whole game, but especially in these last quarters where they click into gear, as you were referring to their their back half transition is just immaculate. The pressure goes through the roof and they're just, they're just executing under pressure. Like we'll probably talk about some of what happened in that last quarter more specifically, but it just no, it looks like the players know exactly what they're trying to do at, at, at every uh, you know, every time they're challenged in any way, even if it looks like the most unlikely thing that they're actually going to score, it just happens, you know, probably more than half the time. Yeah, and like you said, it's almost starting to feel like you know the exact moment that the switch is flicking in these games for Collingwood. It's, yeah, it's crazy to watch at the moment. Um, And, yeah, look, when you've got guys like the Dacos brothers playing like they are at the moment, especially Nick, um, yeah, I, I think I think Nick in particular needs more attention. Uh, Sydney did that last week. They had um, mm, yeah. uh, Clark go with him, and I thought he, he did a really, really good job. And I think that's the key. You've got to be nullifying those guys who are creating off half-back. Yeah, well, if, if you're creating so much of your play from half-back, it only makes sense that the opposition would try and actually stop you at that source more than they're actually doing. So maybe, you know, the opposition's are missing a bit of a trick here, especially in these last quarters. I know it gets harder in that last quarter when Collingwood even, you know, taking the game on more. But if you can try and shut that down in some way, surely you're going to go a long way towards beating Collingwood if they aren't winning the clearances. They're not winning the contested possession. They're not winning the inside 50s. The only way they can really get you is by being ultra effective out of the back half. So if you can try and mitigate that somehow, then, and that's probably what Sydney did to beat him a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, it does seem a little strange that more teams haven't tried to do something similar to that. Why do you reckon that is? Do you think that they're just so hell bent on running their system that they don't want to, uh, that they just don't want to alt- alter anything and veer off that path or do they yeah do they feel like they're going to give up something out of that system if they have someone run with someone like Nick Dacos or is it just uh I don't yeah, know I, I think it's it? to me it's probably more likely that teams think that you know if they win enough clearances they win enough inside 50s they're going to beat Collingwood but really those measures almost go out the window if Collingwood can be as effective as they are in the last quarter. They basically overturned a five-goal deficit in the last quarter to win against the Blues. So I don't. It's, I think it's probably more likely that they just don't see it as enough of a problem to actually 
change it. But maybe that'll change now coming into finals where, you know, teams are really going to school on what's making the other teams effective, which kind of takes me to a question I was just considering. How dangerous do you think Collingwood are going to be in this final series? They've finished fourth. And I know some of the people in our Melbourne group chat weren't keen on uh, Collingwood sneaking into third when it looked like Sydney might actually lose to St Kilda. So how dangerous are they in this final series? Yeah, really good question. Really good question. Um, Look, I think that back line and that dash they get from the back line can take you serious places. But, um, yeah, it's just... Like, do we have enough sample data of Collingwood against quality opposition in the back half of the season? That's my question. Um, yeah, I. Yeah, it's a real tough one. They they could throw a spanner in the works. I think. Yeah, hmm. I don't think anyone is going to be lining up to play Collingwood, which no. you would have thought they might be. You know, coming into the finals from so far back, but they're a dangerous team. It should be a great game against Geelong, the first qualifying final there. And, uh, yeah, especially with Melbourne's record against Collingwood being what it is. And they've proven to be able to play well against some of the other top eight teams as well. I don't think any team is going to be uh, seeing that Collingwood matchup and thinking they're in for any way, shape or form of an easy night. I just wonder, though, if Jamie Elliott went down, how much would that alter their forward line right now? Yeah, yeah. He's a very important player. I'm sure they would find some way to cover him, but, you know, he is one of their absolute clutch players and he's basically won two games off his own boot in the last month. So, yeah, that would hurt. Yeah, I think he's one that they can, yeah, probably their most, I would even have him as one of the most important players right now. Um, Yeah, and you look at the midfield, I think they can, they seem to have covered Taylor Adams fairly well. Um, Yeah, I think he's the one, he's got the hot, the hot foot at the moment. So would you be surprised if they went out in straight sets then? Um, I wouldn't be totally surprised, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were playing in a, in a prelim, mm, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. It's going to be a really, really good match, that one. I think they're on the easier side of the draw as well, because if they do end up losing to Geelong, likely opponent, probably Fremantle, maybe the Dogs. I think that's the easier side of the draw compared to getting either Brisbane or yep. Richmond in that second uh, week there. that's That'd be my preferred matchup. Well, if they somehow beat Geelong, I'd... <laughs> Everything just flips it, on its head. I'd, I'd be backing him to play in the grand final. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, we now go to the, uh, the loser of that fantastic game yesterday, which was Carlton. Uh, commiserations to Carlton fans. Uh, that, that is a brutal way to miss out on playing finals. But Dan, what did Carlton do wrong to lose in the last two minutes again? <laughs> oh wow! Um, the but the bit that stood out to me was when uh, they had the ball. I think it was at about seventy meters out, sort of on the point of the square, somewhere around there. And uh, it was a stop play. They went long to about 25, 30 meters out, and it wasn't. St- you know, straight in between the arcs, but it wasn't that close to the boundary either. And what happened? The ball, uh, you know, gets fisted to ground. Who's got the numbers? Collingwood have two clear numbers. First of the ball, they clear the ball super quickly. Carlton obviously hasn't set up properly defensively, 
They transitioned the ball straight down the ground. Uh, Collingwood's got the numbers going inside their own 50. Can raffle it, really. And it's Jamie Elliott, which we were just chatting about. He's the game breaker. He goes in and kicks a nice goal on the angle there to uh, get the lead by a single point. But as soon as that happened, even before they kicked the goal, can you guess what my one thought was about this play, Johnny? Uh, (laughs) You needed a... You needed a higher percentage kick. Yeah. You needed to be putting it to the boundary at least. Exactly. My thought yeah. was if that was Melbourne, they would not have kicked it there. No. At the worst not. worst case scenario, you get a stoppage. Yep. We, Melbourne supporters complain so much about Melbourne always going to the pockets. Yeah. But sometimes it's the right play. Usually it is actually the right play yeah, on a slow is, yeah. play because you actually do really open yourself up to a slingshot play just as the one I just described there. Mm. If you do not get the ball close enough to the boundary on a stop play like that, especially if you're not set up well defensively. So alternate universe, Carlton goes long to the pocket. They either get a mark, maybe a crumb, or a stoppage, and they've only got, what, two minutes there to try and yeah. hold it in. Or even if the Collingwood gets the ball back, they can't go as quickly. Yeah, and coast to coast from yeah. the congestion. Yeah. A more experienced team, I don't think, would have given Collingwood such an easy look there. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, from what I was watching, it's it seemed like Carlton never threw any numbers back either. They almost set up in those last few minutes as if they were chasing the game and they were actually in front. They didn't have Um, to score, yeah. They were five points up at that point. Exactly. And I don't think you should ever be hit on a counter-attack when you're leading by less than a goal. You need to be set up behind the ball properly. Attack-wise, they were still right on the money. They still had 20 inside 50s to 11 in that last quarter. Uh, Well, they both had the same amount of scoring shots. It was six behinds to five goals one. And that's... That's 25 points. That was the margin. And uh, they get up yeah. by a single point. And even after this, they had chances. I can't remember who it was. Uh, had it just outside 50. And McKay yeah, was didn't. leading up. Uh, and he was basically by himself. But for some reason, he didn't kick it to him. Kicked it to the pocket where there was no one there. So I don't quite know what happened there either. But Yeah. So that was uh, that was Durden. Um, and just before that, yeah, he had Mackay short. Uh, didn't take it. Then passed it to Jeremy Howe. Uh, but just before that, as soon as he got that ball, um, Zach Fisher, I saw, was alone on the edge of the 50. And he, he didn't go to him. It was He wouldn't have gotten that much closer, but mm. I think he would have been a better chance to High kick percentage. a point. Yeah. Uh, and he didn't take it. And I think, yeah, he wouldn't be feeling too good about that one. Uh, moments before that, uh, Sam Doherty kicked one out on the full. Uh Kerno missed two crucial chances there that could have buried it. That they really lost the unlosable game here, Dan. Really, it, it almost seemed like they didn't realize that all they needed was a point. Though it looked like yeah. they were playing like they thought they had to get a goal, when in reality a draw would have been enough for them. You th- yeah. you'd think that they would have actually been drilled that at three quarter time. Or well, I guess you know you're leading a game by twenty five points. You're probably not going to be talking about. What happens if you're going to draw the game? But true, yeah, yeah, it's it is, yeah, it's just a bit of a problem. They didn't actually know that they only needed a point. I suppose maybe it was a force of habit where you don't want to accept the draw. You're trying <laughs> to do anything you can uh, to get the goal to win it. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of players are, dr- are driven like that. They would just see a draw as almost a failure, but in reality, that's all they needed. Yeah, and we we've, we've talked about this before. How sometimes players just don't think that way where 
um, you could salvage something from a game. Uh, I think we talked about it in the <laughs> Adelaide and Melbourne game last year yeah. when uh, it was a boundary throw and he thought, why did Max try to grab it out of the ruck? Why didn't he just try and fist it through for a behind or something? Yeah, so, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe they're just, they're just wired that way. But uh, yeah, it was really disappointing. Really disappointing. I thought they had a real lack of leadership there. And um, the one that that really hurt, I think, was that obviously the goal that Elliot kicked. But uh, they they just didn't have the foresight to to get back. And I th- yeah, just I've seen that bit a few times. And I just think Jacob Weedering just was for such a great player. I just didn't think he was quick enough to mm. to really switch on and arrange everyone. Yeah, I think if, he did, if they did that, they would have won. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that would have uh, given a lot better chance. But like. Yeah. We're honing in on the end here, but it was a fantastic game. What did you oh, think yeah. of the game overall? Oh, fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Um, almost reignited the traditional rivalry. I <laughs> uh, it was great. It was really, really good Good footy. Uh, you know, it's always fun to see a, a, a clearance-based team getting on top, I think. Uh, just good old-fashioned ball out of the middle. And when Carlton were, were starting to hit their straps in the third quarter, it was, it was really good to watch. They got under yeah. a massive run there, didn't they? With you know their tall forwards, McKay and Kerno doing some of the damage, and yeah, yeah. It, it was almost like an encapsulation of what made Carlton good this year and what made Collingwood good this yeah. year in the one game. And it really was. It showed, I guess, in the end, which was more important. And I guess that's you know performing under pressure when it absolutely matters. And the player I was referencing earlier. Um, I can't remember all the specifics, but I remember Penelby gathered around the half-forward line, handballed to uh, Mason Cox, did a bit of a uh, you know t- half-turn circle to control the ball and got it out to McCreary basically on the paint of 50 and, uh, yeah, basically just went for the glory shot and uh, it curved around and yeah. nailed the goal. And, yeah, this is what just one goal. of these players that – one of these plays that it just looked like – Everything was so difficult, but Collingwood made it look so easy at the same time. It was almost like it was a training drill, and McCreary took an incredibly difficult shot there, but it looked like he fully expected to kick it. That's just how yeah. in sync they all were, and, yeah, it's just amazing to watch. Oh, yeah, fantastic goal, fantastic goal. Uh, so, yep, Collingwood get into the top four, and Carlton unfortunately miss out. Uh, but, yeah. We all, some of us know what that feels like, but geez, that was brutal. Um, so we come to the next question then. Uh, the, and obviously the team that uh, took advantage of Carlton's uh, misfortune was the Western Bulldogs, who made the eight. So the question is, out of the Bulldogs and the Blues, who do you think is the more worthy finalist? Mm. It's hard to argue that Carlton isn't the more worthy finalist. I think they're the first team since 1980 or 1981 to spend the whole year inside the eight and then drop out in the last round. So that's pretty brutal. They had two chances in two weeks to win, you know, a close game that would have sealed it for them. Um, Then you got the Bulldogs who are another curiosity who just (laughs) haven't quite clicked for the majority of the year, but, you know, they've found enough way, way to win enough games and their best is still very good. We saw that in the Melbourne game, among others. So it's tricky because Carlton did win a lot of their games earlier in the season and have kind of been spluttering towards the end in a way. And 
people forget that but the Blues wouldn't have even been in this position if they'd actually put up more of a fight against Adelaide at Adelaide Oval in a game everyone really expected them to win and they uh, rolled over there pretty easily as well. So I think it, although maybe the Blues are the more deserving if you look at the season as a whole, it's probably not hard to argue either that the Bulldogs are probably more of a form team at the moment. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, I think I agree. I, th- I think Carlton were the more worthy finalist um, over the course of the year, but I think the Dogs are the better team. Uh, just more experience, fitter, uh, deeper midfield, uh, can maybe hurt you a, a little bit more uh, on the ground than Carlton could, uh, even though I think Carlton's sort of ground game was quite good at the start of the year. Uh, it's more about the key forwards there for their forward line. But, uh, yeah, I think... I think the dogs are. If I was playing either of them in the finals, I'd prefer, probably prefer to play Carlton. To be honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dogs are always dangerous in these knockout finals, and they've drawn Fremantle in the first week, and that's not going to be an easy game for the Dockers, especially with the week off. No. I reckon so. Um, They're doing quite well on the weekend, scoring out of stoppage. The dogs and uh, got Sam Darcy up in the forward line as well, doing a few things among yeah. some ruck work. I'm sure so. Maybe yeah, yeah, uh, right. maybe they're going <laughs> to cause some problems again. guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've done it before. We've seen <laughs> that. Um, so, yeah, it's not a team you want to play against. Uh, now, it's probably the question that we hear every single year, Dan, but is the season too long? Should everyone just play each other once? Uh, we get, you know, better quality games and maybe better finals, maybe even bring back representative football like State of Origin. <laughs> um, what do you reckon? Yeah, I would love it if they did this, but just for commercial reasons, it's never going to happen. You'd have to take a pay cut. You'd be getting less money from all your revenue sources. So although, you know, football utopia, yeah, everyone be playing each other once. It's just not going to happen. The only thing I could see them changing is actually trying to play more games during the season. I don't exactly know what that would look like. And you get these, you know, lopsided draws where it turns out that, you know, some of the top eight teams have had to play uh, the other top eight teams four times and some have had to do it once. So it doesn't seem very fair, but it's the system we've got. And, uh, yeah, we're not getting away from it anytime soon. So although... It's not probably something I agree with. It's just so entrenched that I think we're kind of stuck with it. What do you reckon, Johnny? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think it's the reason why the final system doesn't change. It's because it's all about money. <laughs> and you know, you've got to sell those tickets. You've got to get those those games on on TV in front of all the eyeballs. Uh, otherwise, the most easy solution would just be first and second plays in a grand final. Or something <laughs> like that. But um yeah, like I think in a perfect world it makes sense, but it just it as long as the system is fundamentally flawed like it is, we're always going to get these these arguments about other teams' runs being more fair than others, or and yeah, it's just it is the way it is, and that's just going to happen. Uh, although I, I did notice today that uh, Melbourne obviously had the toughest run home in their fixture, but. Uh, Sydney, Brisbane, and Geelong in particular 
they had quite and Collingwood obviously had quite good runs home, and yeah, I just I was just wondering how like it made sense for Collingwood, uh, but how did Geelong and Brisbane end up with such cushy runs? I mean, yeah, I'm not top sure. Four like, last year, do we still do this whole thing where you do six 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 and you get more? Uh, games against the your bracket of six from the previous year. Does that still happen? I don't know. This whole, the whole fixture is just, so con- is just so convoluted. Like, no one really ever knows exactly how these things are done, I suppose. No. I assume that that's how it was, but maybe it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I think that this is the way it is. And, uh, yeah, no point complaining about it, I guess. Uh, we've got... One more. Um, yeah, and it's about obviously about the finals, but who is the more dangerous team in the finals, Dan? Sydney or Collingwood? Mm. Yeah, tricky one. Really hard. <laughs> I think, you know, if you look at the body of work, you would have to say Sydney's got more strings to their bow than Collingwood does. But in a one-off knockout final, I think Collingwood might actually be more dangerous, just their capacity to come back from seemingly unwinnable positions. So if I was predicting who is more likely to win the whole thing or to get to a grand final, I would probably say Sydney. But in a, you know, one-off scenario where you're looking at who might be more likely to cause a huge upset, I might actually say Collingwood would be more likely. So don't know if that really answers the question, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think so too. I think in a one-shot backs-against-the-wall game, I would be probably more scared to play Collingwood than Sydney. Uh, I think that, yeah, there's just something about them. There's just something about them with that uh, the never-out-of-it sort of mantra, I guess. But uh, Sydney is going to be a a tough opposition for Melbourne, I think, Uh, especially at the MCG. Uh, they're a great running side, and I think they'll they'll be good on the open spaces at the G. So, you know, it will be a tough one for Melbourne to to be defending. Yeah, really tough. But uh, yeah, I think I might, <laughs> I think I might go Collingwood. Yeah. So just with Collingwood though, like we've talked a little bit about how they're losing a lot of these metrics in the bigger games by a long way in terms of clearances, contest possession, inside fifties. We know finals are played in a different manner. So as a Collingwood supporter, would it worry you that they're conceding in these areas so much? It's one thing to do it in the regular season, but the way finals are played in such a brutal, contested Mm. fashion, can you actually win finals with a profile like this? Yeah, well, I'm not sure what the the clearance, where Collingwood sit on the clearance differential stat but uh i can't imagine it's the best or even close to the best Mm, i think that is something that you want to have you when you are playing finals you want to have some kind of ability to go out there and win the ball out of the middle uh, when you need to and yeah i I do wonder if yeah if they sort of hanging back a little bit and relying on their counter attack and yeah i just it it could but you could see a game where they get blown out early Mm. uh, and it could be geelong uh, but it could be yeah. harder to play their brand in finals. Like, I suppose, yeah, that's the risk. If you you could see them getting sort of brutalized and absolutely blown out in a first half, and then maybe you know 
well, yeah, the game's over at that point. So I guess it will be interesting to see how well their game holds up in finals. I, I still think they will find a way to be competitive and yeah. hang in games long enough that they can come with a surge. But, yeah, it is just a little bit of a worry that their profile doesn't necessarily match up to how finals are traditionally played. Yeah, I think if they are hanging in there, then it gives them a shot, absolutely, just to rebound and get some good scoring chances. But, yeah, that's what I'm worrying about. If they get cut up early, then, yeah, they might not know what hit them. (laughs) It's kind of what happened against Melbourne in the first half, but they still found a way to hang in there. I suppose that wasn't the absolute highest pressure game, at least in the first half. The second half was a bit higher pressure, but... Yeah, it will be interesting to see. I can't wait for that game against Geelong. That should be a really, yeah. really good one. Huge crowd of the G for that one. That'll be sensational. Absolutely. Well, yes, that brings us to the end. Ten. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me. Always good to have a chat. Yeah, and we'll be back next week to do a bit more of the finals preview and chat about some of the games. We'll also go through our all Australian team and. Uh, yeah, yeah, should be some interesting things there to go over. Let's recap the finals matches starting on September the 1st. Whoa, first day in September. That's a true final series. Uh, it's the second elimination final. Don't know why they start with the second, but it is 6th versus 7th, Brisbane and Richmond. And that is at the Gabba. The second qualifying final is Melbourne and Sydney, 2nd versus 3rd. And that is on the Friday night at the MCG. The first qualifying final is on Saturday between Geelong and Collingwood, first versus fourth. And the first elimination final is between Fremantle and the Western Bulldogs, fifth versus eighth, at Optus Stadium on Saturday night. So a good mix of teams there, and I think more than enough for the neutrals to get around. Uh, In the meantime, hope you have a good week, and we'll catch you next week. Bye for now.